Welcome to Lethal Dose, your favorite toxicology-focused podcast where we delve into true crime cases involving drugs and poisons. My name is Venus Dineko. I'm a layperson fascinated by true crime. My name is Kayla Woods. I'm an author and toxicologist. Let's get started. I think it's important for us to make a few distinctions while we're here Mm -hmm. having this, this particular part of the conversation. I think it's important to distinguish between telling somebody, Hey, you need to do something medical. Well, why do I need to do that? Well, it's one thing if you are going to hurt other people, it's another, if you only have the ability to harm yourself. Mm-hmm. The elephant in the room is vaccines. <laughs> vaccines, anti-vaxxers, and the people who think that their bodily autonomy is at stake and they deserve to be able to stay in their community and to stay working. And I understand bodily autonomy, but public health is a different thing. Exactly. So for the conversation that we're having today with Mary, mm-hmm. she does have the ability to harm other people in her community. Mm -hmm. That's why the state wants to say, hey, Mary, that gallbladder, let me have it, girl. Right. And we understand that there's medical trauma and perhaps some racism and classism that is making Mary say no. And it's before germ theory. And that's why those two things, along with a gallbladder removal and a surgical removal that is invasive, In the early 1900s, as an Irish immigrant. Right. That is not equivalent to asking people to get two vaccines and perhaps a booster to continue working in the fields that they work in and threatening that they can't have jobs if they're going to continue to put their communities at risk. Right. It's just like if they were to allow Typhoid Mary, mm-hmm. hey, do you want to continue serving food to people? Um, hey, what about serving food in a hospital? Would you right. like that, Mary? Right. Making these people sick, Mary? Right. Yeah. It's almost too on the nose for us to not have this conversation. Right. So that's why we wanted to just take a quick pit stop and make things very clear that at Lethal Dose Podcast, we are pro-vaccine. We are pro-public health. We are pro-bodily autonomy. Yeah. I don't know, guys. Which side of history do you want to be on? For this episode, content warning, mention of child death, sadly. We have another guest for this episode. Mm -hmm. May we please introduce Bryce. Yes. Bryce is a chef and owner at Pastry Unicorn in Mesa, Arizona. She has been working towards Pastry Unicorn as early as I have known her, actually. Her website says 2016, but I've known Bryce for a very long time, and I think she's always been gunning for Pastry Unicorn. And I am absolutely thrilled to have her on here. We wanted to talk about more food because I love making people feel really as weird about food as I do, and I thought Bryce was the perfect person to bring on for that. So without further ado, Bryce Shervin. (laughs) Thank you so much. This was actually something I was very excited about. Two of my favorite things of true crime and food Mm -hmm. is kind of the perfect combination. So I'm excited to talk about it. We're excited to have you here. (laughs) And I was very excited that this is what you chose. I was honestly expecting you to come in with something like Listeria Mm -hmm. or Salmonella, something like that. And so this was a very nice surprise. Thank you. It's truly my pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually, when we were texting back and forth and you said typhoid, I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, let's do that route. And you were like, is that too obvious? And I was like, not at all. But maybe it's just because I I don't live in that realm, you know? (laughs) Well, and it, it wasn't obvious to me because I had to take a step back and go like, wait, like I'm so down to talk about typhoid Mary, but what's the connection? And now after I've refreshed myself a little bit, it makes total sense. Yeah. So I'm here for it. Yeah. So what is the story of Typhoid Mary? I will dive right into it. Let's do it. Typhoid Mary was born as Mary Mallon 
1869 in a place called Cookstown, Ireland. There's not a lot of information that I could find about kind of her early life in Ireland or why she left. We know that her family was still alive when she left Ireland, but she left and came to the U.S. in 1883, and she just kind of worked and got a job. She ended up as a cook. Working as a cook, especially as an Irish woman in the time that she was in, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, she was making really the best money that she could given her stature, basically. So, well, because I mean, she's not coming to the U.S. with a silver spoon in her mouth. Exactly. Right. She's a poor immigrant. So yeah. she had to earn that bread and that she did. She also made that bread. That's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1906 in New York City, there started to be this huge wave of typhoid fever hitting Manhattan, especially. And they started realizing that it was only affecting the upper class, which was weird because typhoid fever is typically associated with dirt and just not, you know, not associated with wealthy people. Mm-hmm. And un- unhy- yes. unhygienic conditions. And yes, thank you. Typically, you know, it's a classist kind of thing. Yes, yeah. totally. Yeah. So in the summer of 1906, Charles Henry Warren and his family took a vacation in the summer up to a place called Oyster Bay in Long Island, which is pretty common, just like it is still for people in New York City to kind of get out of the summer heat and vacation somewhere else. And so the Warren family was super wealthy. Charles was a banker. He was a super notable banker. And so the home that they rented, they had to basically staff so that people could take care of the home while they were there. And they hired a bunch of staff and they got someone from a temp agency who was named Mary Mallon and she became the cook for the family in August. Mary had like killer reviews from all of her clients. Everybody loved her. They said she worked super clean. She was super professional. She was a really good cook. It also helped that she didn't have a husband or any children. Mm -hmm. So she was Mm -hmm. really able to just kind of like dedicate yourself and dive into it. And she got up every morning super early to make sure that there was a warm meal ready for the family when they woke up. And she made about $45 a month, which at the time was like great money for, like we said, an Irish immigrant woman. Mm -hmm. During that summer, there was a peach orchard that had like an especially great harvest that year. And the farmer actually was so proud of his peaches that um, the president at the time who had a summer home in Oyster Bay he basically brought him a bushel of the peaches. And so they became this really like sought after thing to try and get your hands on. And so Mary was able to get some and she wanted to treat the family. It was still super hot where they were at. And so she decided to make some of her famous ice cream for the family. And she threw in all of the fresh peaches. She she peeled them and kind of cut them up. And so it was just this nice ice cream with fresh peaches. And she made so much that there was enough for all of the staff as well. So like the gardener got some, everyone got to enjoy it. About three weeks later, the youngest daughter of the Warren family, she was nine years old. She started feeling ill and Mrs. Warren just kind of thought it was a summer bug. She just kind of was like, we're going to push through this and it'll be okay. And then we'll be fine. Especially because back in the day, it kind of came down to like, your immune system is either going to help you with this or it's not. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. You got to play the hand you're yeah. And some of us, we get a shitty hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so at some point, her fever got so high that she became delirious. And that's when the family started to actually kind of worry. Five other people in that household also felt ill that week. And so that's when the whole household and the whole family started kind of saying, let's get out of here. And so the parents sent the healthy children to stay with some other family in New York. And then the parents went back to their home in New York City with the sick child to help take care of her. And then suddenly there was a typhoid outbreak. I won't say suddenly, but five, (laughs) (laughs) six people total within like a week in this kind of summer vacation spot, getting sick with typhoid is Is definitely considered cause for concern. Yeah. And it was very much tied to that household, the Thompson household was the family that they were renting it from. It left a bad reputation on that house. Mm. And so that also made it harder for the Thompsons to to re-rent it when they came back from their also vacation to somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So they knew that if they couldn't basically clear their names and clear their household as being somewhere like 
safe and clean to rent again, it would really kind of ruin their reputations. Mm -hmm. So they hired this man. His name is George Soper, and you will hear his name a lot. Love it. Okay. And so he actually is not a doctor. He didn't go to medical school. He's a sanitation engineer, and he was just really an epidemiology. And so he kind of came in, he was hired by the Thompson household to find the source of the typhoid and just kind of help clear their name and get rid of it so that they could say like, you know, we're fine. Mm-hmm. We're all clear here. There's yeah, nothing we're all cl- to yes. be worried about. I'm George Soper. <laughs> George <laughs> Soper said, so yeah. we're good. Yeah. Okay. So the health department had come in previously and tested the water to see if the water was the source. Mm. And having ruled that out pretty quickly, they were like, okay, we're going to have to start figuring out where this came from. And so George Soper started looking into like the patterns of the house and the history and things like that. So he was like, okay, what's different? What's changed? And they talked to both the Thompson family and the Warren family that had stayed there that summer. And they were like, what changed? Who came in? Who came out? Like, where's the variable here? And so they talk to the staff and they're like, well, we've all had the same staff all summer, except for in August when the old cook left and this new cook, Mary Mallon, started. Mm-hmm. So he was like, okay, like, let's find this Mary Mallon person and, and talk to her. And what was interesting was that Mary didn't stay with either families. She didn't stay at the Thompson household and she didn't stay with the Warren family because after everyone started getting sick, she bounced. <laughs> She's kind of nomadic, it seems like. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It also just seems so suspicious, though, that she's like, ugh, out of here. Right. Yo. It's going to nope out of this. It's my cue to leave. <laughs> so Soper was like, hmm, okay, that's pretty sus. And so he was like, let's talk to Mary Mellon. Let's find her. He had to talk to the staff to see if it was coming from the food. And so he was like, what did you guys eat? Was there anything that everybody Mm. ate that everybody started getting sick off of? This is honestly still how, if there's a food poisoning case in a restaurant, like this is how they do it. They say, what did you eat? Totally. And if everybody shares the same dish. Yes. I mean, it's smart. It's like contact tracing, but for food. Yeah, it just seems so difficult, though, because I know we'll get into this later, but it takes a while for like typhoid in particular to start presenting. And like, if somebody asked me what I ate for breakfast yesterday, I would pause. And so asking me what I ate a week ago, I'd be like, I don't fucking know. dude. (laughs) Or three weeks ago. Yeah. All bets are off. No chance. Yeah, seriously. They're gunning on everyone having a much better memory than I do. (laughs) Right. Sure. (laughs) So Sober is digging into... Mary Mellon and the food that she cooked and the menu and what everybody had. And they all were just kind of talking and they're like, you know, Mary, she wasn't a dirty person. Mm -hmm. They all Mm -hmm. said that she kept a super clean kitchen. She took a lot of pride in her work. And there's also some kind of speculation that because the soaps at that time were super harsh on your skin, they had a lot of really bad, like harsh chemicals and shit in them that Mm -hmm. maybe Mary either forgot a wash or like chose to skip a wash or two after going to the bathroom. And a lot of that is speculation, but Mm -hmm. it could be. They looked into it and they determined that it was coming from this ice cream that she made. So she got the peaches and she was peeling them with her bare hands. So whether she hadn't washed her hands at all or well enough, Mm -hmm. that it was, yeah, it was coming from her. And so they were like, okay, did she seem sick? That's kind of where they were able to determine that she was what they called an asymptomatic carrier. Mm-hmm. So she she seemed super healthy. She didn't have any symptoms or anything like that. But they mentioned that it could be as simple as kind of keeping that bacteria under your fingernails if you don't wash mm-hmm. well enough that mm-hmm. it can spread that way. And so imagine someone's bare hands just digging in the ice cream with raw <laughs> peaches. Yum. <laughs> I'll have my ice cream and peaches with a side of typhoid, please. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Do we know about asymptomatic carriers at this time? No, it seems like I actually found an article and it was written in 2013 and published by the Stanford Medical University. Mm. And it seems like it was only just around then that we were like, ah, we understand like this whole chronic asymptomatic thing. So back then, 
I am actually a little bit astounded that they were even like probably an asymptomatic carrier. It's so fascinating to me that they weren't like, we have no idea where this came from. Like we can see where it probably came from, but she's not sick. So we don't know. Right. Because I mean, in every experience, anybody who has typhoid is outwardly sick and not in a subtle kind of way either. Like you're laid out, like it's some serious shit. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that that is pretty amazing. The fact that they could make that jump is that's pretty pretty amazing. I mean, they must have known that people were asymptomatic. So they knew that this Mm -hmm. wasn't like a huge step in like medical understanding. Like a new thought process or anything. Yeah, but we just didn't understand really what that was or like why the body could do that until like 2013. So this Hmm. is definitely just like ages of understanding typhoid if you live through it or see it, but not really getting it. Yeah, they mentioned that during this time also like germ theory is still pretty new and that a lot of people Mm. don't quite understand. Like they get it, but they don't get it. This is also at a time, especially with Mary Mallon, like she's a poor immigrant woman. Not a lot of people are literate or are in school regularly. And if you try to explain science to somebody who has zero understanding of scientific ideas, processes, etc., something like germs is going to be hard to understand because you can't see it. So Mm -hmm. how are you supposed to say to somebody who has no idea, like, be scared of this thing that you can't see? Like, of course, she's not going to wash her hands. Totally. After leaving the Thompson residence, Mary, like I said, she didn't stay at the Thompson household and Mm. she didn't stay with the Warren family because everybody got sick. And this turns into her pattern, whether it's on purpose or not, I think is totally debatable. Mm -hmm. But at this time, Mary goes and gets another job with another family. She's cooking and she's caretaking and she's doing kind of the same, same thing, buffing up her resume. And it was at this household that Mary infected the family's only child. um, And that child would eventually be her first unintended death from typhoid fever. Mm -hmm. So during this time when Mary is working for these other families, George Soper is still like on the lookout for her. He's still trying to get to the Mm. bottom of it. He's still trying to clear the Thompson's name. And so he, even though he's not a doctor and he's just a total epidemiology nerd, (laughs) he, he basically saw Mary as like research as like a cool case study. So he just kind of kept going at it. He tracked her down and eventually he was able to find her. He walks into her kitchen and he explains that, you know, all these people keep getting typhoid and that he's pretty sure that she's why. Mm-hmm. How does she take this? Doesn't go super well. One of the first things that he asks her is for samples of her urine, feces, and blood. Maybe not the way you should broach the conversation. Stranger. <laughs> Hi, I'd like your pee. I'd like your shit. <laughs> like, can't get handed over. You know what I mean? Like, there's no tact like, to it. Like, so yeah, I get it. I get it. No, sir. No, sir. Yeah. Silver had me? no tact. He had no chill. <laughs> did not understand how to approach this subject. Got it. Okay. Well, she responded by getting a carving fork and trying to stab him and then chasing him out of her kitchen. So like, do you blame a girl? <laughs> That's one way of reacting. It's a choice. Yeah. It was a choice you for sure. You woke up and chose violence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mary always wakes up and chooses violence. (laughs) So so after this killer first meeting between George Soper and Mary Mallon, he basically starts spreading rumors like Mm. Bert catches the town. They all start gossiping. And so they just start saying that Mary is this like dirty and dangerous unmarried woman in her thirties. Like she, Mm. she basically gets her career like in shambles yeah yeah that's pretty much what happens yeah Yeah. so she gets eventually arrested by the health board because george soper like he basically approaches her a couple times and is like let me get these samples from you like hey girl (laughs) hey girl hey can i get that pee pee can i get that (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) after so many failed attempts She's arrested by the health board because George is like, all right, I guess I need some help here. And so they get involved. And the whole reason that she is arrested is to just determine whether or not she's the source of this sickness that's spreading. 
Mm-hmm. Well, because, and I mean, it is a good theory. It's not just like they're pulling this out of their ass and like persecuting this woman. Like there is reasoning behind it. However, for all we know at this point, maybe she's not the reason. Yeah. When she gets arrested by the health board, she's again approached for samples and she just says no. Mm-hmm. And she runs away from the police. She actually hides in the coal chute of the house that she's working in. And the other employees see what's going on and help hide her. Oh, oh. okay. Okay. I was about to get, I'm like, oh no. They no, sold no, her no. down the road. Like, <laughs> not that good. All right. Well, at least there's, yeah, there's some honor there. But it also makes me nervous because she could still poison What if them she made them return? Sick. Yeah. Right. The employees, mm-hmm. they right. have no idea. She is adamant that she is not the one that's getting everybody sick. So when when everybody keeps approaching her, she's like, just leave me alone. Like, let me just do my job. Right. Like, I'm just trying. I've got work to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, excuse me. It takes four police officers to physically remove her from the coal chute. So she's a baddie. (laughs) She's a baddie. She is. She's kicking and screaming. There's a doctor that gets involved as well. And the doctor has to physically sit on her chest in the ambulance they force her into. Jesus. Yeah. So it does get pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's like yes. legitimately traumatizing. Yes. Yeah. There's the yeah. medical trauma we were yeah. talking about. Yes. Content warning for <laughs> medical trauma. <laughs> but yeah. for real though. They get her in this ambulance and they take her to a communicable disease hospital Mm -hmm. and she is quarantined, her clothes are taken, and the only thing she's given to wear is a white robe. She's basically stuck there until they get the samples from her and they, they try a couple more times to get them from her and this doctor that they bring in also has no chill and has no bedside manner. They're 0 for 2 at this point. And so finally, they just forcefully take the samples from her, which is so bad. The yikes. So brutal on some mm, levels. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, yeah, it's a bad time. It wasn't until they got the samples from her that they were able to figure out that, yes, she was asymptomatic in the sense that they understood that she has these pathogens. I get like fuzzy on the, the scientific, like, yeah, is this so, right? So the, is the it- pathogens. Is it a virus, bacteria? It's okay. a bacteria. So it's the Salmonella typhi bacteria, which is actually related to Salmonella, which is food poisoning. Mm, and I'll mm-hmm. ask you about that later because I do have questions <laughs> about it. But yeah, it's a bacteria. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so they, they were able to find the bacteria. They actually didn't find any in her urine when they tested it, mm. but they found a lot in her feces like Mm. a lot somehow because they're doctors and they're more qualified than I am they understood that that meant that it was in her gallbladder and that it was essentially colonizing in her gallbladder the gallbladder produces bile from what I remember that so I'm guessing like when it breaks down the food then it's got to exit Mm -hmm. the host yeah so is that why they knew it I would assume so. Yeah, I I think the way that your kidneys deal with everything and like take stuff out and like the urinary Mm -hmm. tract and that Mm. whole genital urinary thing, that's different from the gallbladder, which is more of like gastrointestinal. So I think that they're kind of able to like narrow it down. Yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't coming out in her urine. So Mm -hmm. they go, we know that it's not hanging out in the kidneys or hanging out in the blood. Okay, got it. Yeah. So what do they want to do about it? So they basically tell her, we need to take your gallbladder out. And she's like, no, thank you. <laughs> of course she says, no, thank you. Like, this is on brand for for, for Mary. It sounds like it went about as well as the conversation that ended with a stabby fork. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I want to know if it was just a polite, no, thank you, as Bryce said. And then we got stabby. Like, I or have... if it was a lilty, no fucking way. Like, no fucking yeah. way. And then the next thing you know, she has five men trying to subdue her like what kind of no are we talking about i I think that the latter is probably a little more on brand there's definitely (laughs) well you never know how much of it is george soper just trying to like have a good story yeah he gets really stoked about Mm -hmm. you know finding this thing and so so do they can they make her take it out they cannot oh Good. good Do we want to be excited that she could still make more people sick though? Cause like, I'm like, yay, Mary, they didn't make you do it. But I'm also like, oh, you could still make people sick. Yeah. So here's the thing is that 
she refuses to give them her gallbladder. And so instead of, you know, like slap on the wrist, send her back out in the world, they ship her off to a quarantine island. Oh, and no. so it's an island like an actual North. island. Yes. Oh, it's, wow. It's actually not that far from Manhattan. It's still in New York City. Tourists are hard not allowed. It's called North Brother Island. You, you never know. Right. <laughs> well, I check this place out. Now, right. I saw that dark tourist show on Netflix. Say, and it was yeah, terrible, but he would go there. He would go there to see Quarantine Island. Yeah. So this island was built specifically to house people with infectious diseases. Just okay. any infectious diseases? Yes. Okay. Yes, but Mary was actually the only one on that island with typhoid or as, you know, as a carrier. Mm -hmm. And so all of these other people on the island with infectious diseases, like, wouldn't even talk to her. She was, like, alienated in this already alienated place. That's just not a good system to put everything together and not give people humanity and... Yeah. Let's not do that. (laughs) Well, and I mean, and the other thing, too, is it just makes me think about, like, privacy. How do we get to the fact that she gets to be the like black sheep of quarantine island? You know what I mean? Like how we all like, oh no, you don't talk to Mary. She's right. Typhoid. That's typhoid Mary. Was she was she actually being called typhoid Mary? At this time, yes, she was. Okay. Uh, So that was already she had like a reputation. Yeah, she had a reputation and I am certainly not justifying this infectious disease island. However, <laughs> uh, she had her own little house. They she got a they gave her a dog. Like so, she didn't. She wasn't treated inhumanely. I mean, correct as far as being on the island, right? Like, I mean, as far as like separate it from the like you were forced to be in this place part, but hey, you can have a dog and you have this nice house and that's pretty cool, right? I mean, she's not in like a eight by eight cell. Right. She's quarantined for about three years. Damn. Where they're like, just give us your gallbladder. And she's like, no. (laughs) Nay, nay. (laughs) Nay, nay. After about three years, they finally were like, okay, let's consider releasing her. Like, she's obviously not going to give up the gallbladder. And so the state of New York steps in and they're like, we will only release her if she stops serving food. She cannot be a cook anymore. Mm -hmm. And she's required to sign enough an affidavit. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Hell yeah. So she quickly agrees. She's released and she is actually required to check in semi-regularly with the health board, with what is their health department at the time. Okay. So she's like like on probation. Instead of checking in with like a PO, she's checking in with the health board. I mean, this all sounds good enough. It sounds good enough. Yeah. Okay. And how does that go? Yeah. Okay. So... Because I feel like that doesn't um, end. It doesn't end here. Yeah. No, we're not there yet. Yeah. So Mary, <laughs> Mary is checking in semi-regularly, but she's having a really hard time getting a job or keeping mm-hmm. a job. Her reputation's totally a mess and she really only knows how to cook. It's what she's been doing for so long. It was her first job when she immigrated to New York. And so nothing else is really cutting it. Plus she's like, I was making $45 a month and now I'm not making that at all. Mm -hmm. So it's also harder for her to like kind of keep up that same standard of living. So in the fall of 1914, she kind of stops checking in with the health board. She doesn't go see her PO. Uh She's on the Um, lam. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And nobody really notices she just kind of really like slowly and quietly like slips off of everyone's radar. I just find that totally unsurprising. <laughs> yeah. I, I have. Why ever would you say that? <laughs> we did this. We did this microdose on Mike Malloy, who was another immigrant that was patrons know the story, but people tried to kill him over and over and over and again. Over and over and over and over and over. And eventually like, they just like planted a fake ID that had his credentials on a corpse and the city was like, sounds good, seems legit. Like you could just <laughs> disappear. Guy, disappear. Yeah. Like you could literally disappear somebody. Literally. So like, simple a so hundred years sense. ago. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Right. So what's interesting is that basically around the time that she starts her quarantine or maybe a little bit pre or like Mm -hmm. prior to, Mm -hmm. and then in this time in 1914, they have actually developed a vaccine 
for typhoid. Oh, oh fantastic. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. Fantastic. Interesting, right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> in January fantastic. and February of 1915, 25 people at a hospital in Manhattan come down with typhoid fever and three women die. The only reason that they said that more people in that hospital with such like close quarters and, you know, everyone's sick and so their immune systems are lowered is because some of them were vaccinated, that they mm-hmm. didn't die. Well, hey, <laughs> vaccines were. <laughs> it's not weird. So weird. Wild. So weird. That typhoid outbreak happens in the hospital, mm-hmm. 1915. And then, yeah, you guys remember George Soper? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. He's back. Yeah. So he, he gets involved again. Of course. He, he just like appears like, Hey, I hear we got typhoid going on. What's up everybody? Okay. I imagine him having a cane. <laughs> I can't imagine him as anybody, but the guy who plays him in drunk history, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> See, and I imagine him as like a George Costanza type. <laughs> What I have pictured in my head is if George Costanza and Bob Hoskins, like, but specifically Bob Hoskins from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, if they had a love child, that's my version of George Soper right now. So he's somehow rounder and balder than both of them. He's actually a sphere. Combined. (laughs) So he's back on the case and imagine his surprise when he hears that a new cook had been hired at that hospital <laughs> only three months ago surprise or delight because i feel like he's delighted at this information yes i feel like he gets a special kind of tingle in his pantaloons over I'm this excited. yeah For he, sure he does yeah he gets a typhoid boner from this <laughs> It took three months for her to kill people, though. There's some shock, like legit shock from me. Like maybe the first two months and one week, she like was really good about washing her hands. I think and so. Then just, like, and then she just got laxed. again. Yeah. yeah. You get comfortable. It's it's true. It's true. She was like, as soon as she hit her like 90 day review, they did those back in 1915. All bets were off. They're like, listen, Mary, you're doing a great job. And she's like, never washing my hands again. She washed her hands of washing her hands. She literally washed her hands of it. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, so what happens next? What happens? Yeah, I don't so even know where happens? we are so, right now. Yeah. Silver gets involved. He starts digging. He starts talking to people about, you know, the food that she's been making and things like that. And they all say, you know, this new cook, she makes the best ice cream. <laughs> This woman's name is Mary Brown. Oh, so shut the fuck up. (laughs) George Soper is like, all right, who the hell is this? I'm getting to the bottom of this. The only problem is that when people started getting sick and dying, this cook Mary Brown was like, all right, I'm a head out. So she leaves and she quits her job. Soper was like, this is obviously Mary Mallon who changed her name to get a job as a cook. You mean Come she's on, not Mary. pulling a Clark Kent on him and successfully <laughs> right. him? Yeah. Let's change your first name too. I don't. Fine. Well, I know, like Mary, you're being a predictable bitch. We don't, we don't love a predictable bitch on Lethal Dose, and you're being predictable. At least change your first name too. You can't, right. You can't yes. still be Mary. You can't still be Typhoid Mary. So at this point also, the shit talking about her is so rampant that the newspaper has printed an article about her calling Mm. her Typhoid Mary. And only do they print actual pictures of her with her full name, Mary Mallon. But there's also, and you you can totally look it up. There's a picture of that front page and it's a drawing of her. Like it's a sketch basically of her cooking, but it also kind of almost looks like she's breathing death into this dish. Uh, and instead of cracking like eggs into the dish, they're little skulls. So like they're really um, not. Like they're not doing holding any anything favors. back. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, yeah. not okay. Yeah. So there's this part of me that's like, if I am an immunocompromised person living in New York, do I want to know about this danger? Mm-hmm. There's this part of me that does say yes. But turning it into like a cartoon and that, like, that's too far. Right. Like, I abide them putting it in the paper and saying, this is a problem. This is a thing you need to look out for. Even that, I'm still just like, "Eh." 
to do it in the way that they did it is so yeah that's it's the most fucked up yeah yeah yeah. i mean i think now we would say that that's defamation like even if she did do something wrong like there's holding her accountable and then there's defaming her name i would agree there's a point in this timeline i think it's just after this where she actually brings her case in front of the supreme court and says i can't find work she says that there's defamation that that there's slander and that they have basically made it impossible for her to work at this point so like what else does she have and the supreme court overturns it and they said Mm. like that because she's basically such a danger to the general population and this is you know back in the day this is what they're saying right that there's not really anything that they can do at this point and uh, what's wild about the case with the supreme court is that her old employers even the ones that like she made sick still supported her in her pursuit like even the ones was it the thomases or the thompsons and the warrens or the thompsons the thompsons Thompsons, Mm -hmm. do you do we know if they supported her as well I don't know specifically if they did. So Soper is on the case. Mm -hmm. He's got the scent. And so he's trying to find Mary. And the chase doesn't last very long because she is spotted nearby pretty recently after she leaves the hospital. And there's actually a police officer that sees her and she's wearing a veil over her face, which is kind of weird. I mean, not that weird considering everybody knows what she looks like. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So the only reason that he knows that it's her reportedly is because of the way that she walks. I guess she has a kind of specific way in which she walks. Yes. Soper comments on the way that she walks and also just kind of like the way that she is and says that she's very masculine and that he doesn't really feel so bad about being so ungentlemanly with her because of the way that she is. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, the police officer recognizes her because of those things and Mm -hmm. she's quickly arrested taken back into quarantine and at this point they told her that they would only release her again if she agrees to have her gallbladder removed Mm. and she's like no they send her back to the island with her little house and her dog and all of the other people with infectious diseases and she's held there in quarantine for the rest of her life Mm -hmm. she's never she's never released and she ends up dying in isolation from pneumonia in November 1938. And even at the end of her life, she would insist that she was not the source of the typhoid outbreak. When she passes, what happens to her? Afterwards? Because mm-hmm. I have a feeling that they probably, like, I'm sure that they did an autopsy and they did testing on her because I feel like Soper probably treated her like a spectacle. Mm-hmm. I feel like, especially with how much interest he took in the case, that he probably treated it like a spectacle, like circus sideshow kind of vibes, like Typhoid Mary, the amazing woman who can't get sick but could kill you mm-hmm. or something. So, I mean, do they perform an autopsy and kind of peek under the hood? Some of the things that I found, and I just did a quick search too, because some of my sources like didn't really cover, they basically just kind of said that she had a really small service and like nine Mm. people went and like they just didn't really hang around. Some of them say that they did end up finding the bacteria in her gallbladder, Mm -hmm. but apparently Soper said that there wasn't an autopsy. I'm going to do a quick read right off of Wikipedia here. Soper wrote that there was no autopsy, claim cited by other researchers to assert a conspiracy to calm public opinion after her death. Hmm. I would have imagined that they would have done like all the bells and whistles. So there's an article, again, this one was also published in 2013 by the Annals of Gastroenterology. Mm. And it said that they did perform a postmortem on her and they found that she did have the salmonella typhi bacteria in Mm. gallstones. What would be significant about the gallstones? That they're in the gallbladder. And so that's essentially like confirming that we thought it was in her gallbladder all along. And it was. So had Mary had the surgery, could she have gone back to a life of cooking food possibly? I think she probably could have. But even Mm. then, like with the moniker that she had and with the black mark on her name and her image, like probably not. Yeah, probably not. Okay. So Kayla, do you want to tell us about typhoid? Sure. Yeah. So typhoid is, like I said, a bacteria that is related to salmonella, but it is not the same as salmonella. It's just in the family. 
Okay. And it's actually more closely related to Salmonella paratyphi and the Salmonella typhi. So there's typhoid fever and paratyphoid, and they're similar but different. I think typhoid fever is actually worse. Than the paratyphoid. Yeah. And typhoid fever is actually called that because one of the striking characteristics of having typhoid fever is that you end up with a very intense fever of like 104 degrees. Mm. So like when your brain starts to melt in your head. Like we mentioned before, it can be caused by eating and drinking contaminated food and water. Like in Mary's case, it's usually found in fecal material. And so it's one of those things like cholera where the fecal material can get into the water and it's only spread by humans, which I think is interesting. So it's not even like runoff in groundwater from like agriculture or anything like right. that. It's right. only humans. I, I feel like we should point this out because last episode in the arsenic episode, we were like, yeah, when cholera was a thing, which like we clearly meant for like the UK and nobody has called me out on that. But I listened to it and I was like, <laughs> that's still a thing. So contextually, like when cholera was a thing in the UK, that's what we were talking about for arsenic. And so typhoid is still a major issue worldwide. Oh. When, when I went to Ecuador a couple of years ago, I had to get vaccinated for typhoid. Interesting. I guess that begs the question, is the vaccine not available in the places where typhoid runs rampant? See, I think it is available, and I do eventually want to talk about vaccines and, like, the ethical way that we can distribute vaccines. I just feel like we're in a really fucked up place right now for me to, like, it's throw shade at vaccines at all. Yeah. 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 I don't really want to do that right now. Hop on that I think that, box. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. <laughs> Smallpox was eradicated using a vaccine and was distributed worldwide, but we didn't do it in a way that I feel really comfortable with. And so mm. I think that it is available there, but it's can we get it to the people? Are we invested in getting it to the people? Right. It's one of those things like, do the right people care? With what you said about it comes out as waste and mm -hmm. then it goes into the water system, it sounds like it would be problematic in countries that don't have very sophisticated water treatment. Because yeah. I think that that's something, especially in the U.S., like that we take for granted. There mm -hmm. are countries that do not. I mean, shit, there are states also. True. But I think on the whole that we take it for granted that our drinking and bathing water doesn't have typhoid in it, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and I think that's a fair point because in the United States, even there's 350 people a year approximately who are diagnosed with typhoid and 90 people a year who are diagnosed with paratyphoid. And most of those are international travel, but you can still have international travel, bring it back, not wash your hands when you cook, things right. like that. Right, because you could come back from traveling mm -hmm. and you have a get together with extended family and friends to celebrate I don't know, your cat's birthday and like a normal person does and you make everybody an adorable cake for your cat's birthday. And then, well, I guess actually I have a question and maybe this is a question for both of you with the peaches, the typhoid was on her hands somehow and got in there. Can typhoid be cooked out of something? Like if it's in a hot prepared food, does the typhoid go away if it were in there? Yeah, it's my understanding that yes. Yeah, one of the things that they recommend to avoid it, like in Ecuador, they were like, boil your water, boil your water, boil mm. your water. Mm -hmm. That's for a number of things. But boiling your water will kill the bacteria. Cooking your food will kill the bacteria. One of the things they tell you not to do is avoid fresh produce and like fresh mm. fruit juice because it could have been washed in dirty water and things like that. So anytime uh. that you, you heat it, it will kill the bacteria. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good to know. Avoid peaches. <laughs> yeah. So are there other things that we can avoid when it comes to typhoid? Like, so I've heard boil your water, eat prepared foods. There is a vaccine. So like if you're going to travel, check to see if it's problematic where you're at. Yeah. And if you go online, like I would just feel real icky naming the regions because it just feels super racist to name the mm. regions. So just go online if you're traveling. Just yeah. check it out with your local health department. Just find out. I think that's fair. But I do think that it's important to talk about the class part because I do see where it's at. And it's like, yes, it would sound right because it's like, like what they said before, it's a poor people disease. Maybe you have access to running water and you can take showers and baths. Like, good for you. So, I don't know. What else can we do to avoid it? 
wash your fucking hands. Mm. That, that's that, a big one. Yeah. That's always a good point. And that's always, yeah. Last year, this year, and it's good always. Advice. It's always good advice. Yeah. Wash your hands. Yeah, so I think those are the big things is okay. like if you go to an area that their governments and their local authorities aren't supporting them to have clean water, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that you boil your water, make sure you avoid washing your produce in non-boiled water. You, you can take the skins off of your produce so that that top layer, if it's contaminated, you can get rid of that. Avoid ice. That's a big one. So because the ice may have been made from contaminated water. I found out about that the hard way. I thought I was so cool going to Tijuana and I got margaritas. <laughs> and I thought like my ex's mom, like, make sure you don't drink the water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Debbie. <laughs> like, so anyway, and I'm Debbie. 17 and you can drink in Mexico at 18. So I'm like, right. oh, I'm going to have a margarita. And they did not ask for my ID. Like, they, here you go. And then it was absolutely terrible. It's in ice, everybody. Yeah. Because guess what ice is made of? <laughs> Newsflash. <laughs> water. Yeah. <laughs> so. Ice is what? <laughs> exactly. You know, Breaking it's, news. <laughs> it's funny that you say Debbie because that reminds me too that like before I saw the drunk history episode that introduced me to Typhoid Mary, I thought mm. that was just a fucking thing we said like, oh. oh, don't be a Debbie Downer, like don't be a Typhoid Mary. I had no idea it was an actual woman That's who weird. was named Mary. But also Typhoid Mary was a total badass. She yeah. Was, she was. I mean, be- she was real proud. She was an advocate for medical rights because I can like 1000% respect somebody who says, no, I'm not going to let you take this organ from me. She believed in herself. So if you get typhoid, what happens? Well, that's the problem. Like besides the fever, are there any other signs and what are the treatments? Well, and that's what I was going to say first is that like when you ask, is the vaccine not available in the areas Mm, that mm -hmm. are most you know, highly affected, you can't use the vaccine after you've already been infected. So like Mary um, couldn't have gotten the vaccine when it was developed because it wouldn't have mm-hmm. done anything for her. Got the it. only thing that would have helped her is antibiotics, which we didn't have yet. And so the antibiotic treatments that we use now are like Cipro and things like that. And it's unfortunate because if you do end up with typhoid and need that, you can take antibiotics for such a long-term period to get rid of it that you end up with the antibiotic-resistant stuff. And so that's it's just bad. Yeah, it's not good. But if you end up with typhoid, it'll probably not present for about a week after you've been infected. And it will first show up as a fever, headache, weakness and fatigue, muscle aches, sweats, dry cough, stomach pain, diarrhea and constipation, which only helps to facilitate the spread of typhoid, Mm -hmm. rash, your stomach is swollen. And then if you continue to not have treatment because it's 1914 or something, you can become delirious and you can end up in a typhoid state where you are just motionless and exhausted and your eyes are half closed, like you're zonked and you're just like, take me brain's melting yeah yeah that too yeah do we know what the survival rate was like back then or the mortality rate in the pre-antibiotic era mortality Mm -hmm. rates were 15 percent or greater so actually like i guess it's not out of the question that mary like survived and was asymptomatic so maybe that's why they knew about asymptomatic carriers because like other people had survived it right and now now that we have antibiotics and we have the vaccine and everybody's told like watch mm-hmm. your water mortality is still less than one percent still that less than one percent there's billions of people on the planet that's a so. lot. and that's the thing guys like <laughs> even a small percentage like those people don't have to die true so I know in 2000, typhoid fever was estimated to cause 21.7 million illnesses and 216,000 deaths globally. Oh, holy shit. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to say, like, hey, I know I sort of, like, misspoke last time when I said cholera wasn't a thing and, like, typhoid's still a thing. Like, it affects a lot of people annually. Yeah, Yeah, that's crazy. That's a big jump from the, like, hundreds of cases here. Out of everything we were talking about beforehand, I, th- I thought we were going to come in talking about Listeria and hot dogs. So, like, why, yeah. why did you choose to talk about Typhoid Mary? Why did that speak to you so strongly? 
Well, here's the thing is the listeria in hot dogs, for example, and even right now in Arizona, there's a salmonella recall on onions. Here too. Um, yeah. It's here. To, yeah. Yeah. We, like I yeah. went to Qdoba and there were signs that said, Hey, don't worry. Our onions, <laughs> they don't No, Swear to God. Don't worry. Our onions, they're not from Mexico. You're Good. fine. Yeah. Like, and I was like, holy shit. We, I have to worry about my fucking onions. Like that was a news flash yeah. to me. Like, uh, it's I'm been lettuce dozens of times. So are you just saying that it's like predictable or like. What? That salmonella is predictable? No, that like the list, like doing listeria for the episode. <laughs> It's for me, it was more that like, it, it feels like those recalls and that those kind of like widespread illnesses and sicknesses that happen from like production plans and these like mm. mass manufactured mm -hmm. items or like mm -hmm. onions as a whole from this whole ass country. Right. For some reason, I think that for a lot of people, it doesn't make the same connection. Mm -hmm. oh, Whereas if it's a lot more personal because it's someone who, who was cooking for you, it's like, it would be like going to your friend's house for a barbecue and they have coleslaw and everybody gets sick off of the coleslaw. Like it's this, right. it's the same idea. Yeah. I, I think that when there's that kind of disconnect with people, it's, it doesn't have the same effect. Yeah. No, that makes I would sense. agree. No, yeah. and it totally does. And I mean, this episode was awesome. What a great choice. Thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> for real. So when did you first learn about Typhoid Mary? I learned about Typhoid Mary from some true crime sure, podcast sure. or them. YouTube or whatever. Like <laughs> right. I, I'd, I'd always kind of known, just like you said with like Debbie Downer, like I'd always heard the phrase Typhoid Mary, but I never really understood who she was or what her case was. When you hear the name Typhoid Mary, it feels very menacing. And that yeah. like she was giving people typhoid on purpose. Yeah. It sounded which, malicious. Yeah. yeah. I thought that she was out here like infecting people like... Does anybody I feel like there was malice towards the end? Or, I mean, how do we mm -hmm. feel about that? Because what was her, like, total body count by the time they quarantined her again? Ooh, that's a great question. I feel like it was, like, 26 people, potentially. I mean, it's oh, like yeah. when we talked about the Bradford Sweets poisoning. Like, who's mm -hmm. the most culpable? Like, especially going and working at a hospital. Yeah, with all those that, sick people. Yeah. Yeah. There's this part of me that wants to say, maybe in her heart of hearts, she really did believe there's no way that I could be it, even though they had these tests. I find that hard to believe, but she stayed on script. Like, yeah. I'm not the cause of this. So there's this part of me that wants to say, maybe she didn't think she was doing anything wrong, but that also is like, does that make it okay? At what point, especially with the hospital, after this neurotic dude uh, soaps following you around right. going like, pretty sure you're giving everyone typhoid, pretty positive you're giving everyone typhoid. Every time you take a job, people get sick and then you leave, like something's got to give. Why would you willingly take a job at a hospital where people are sick, mm -hmm. even knowing that there was a risk? Like if I knew that there was a chance that I would make people sick, I would not work in a place where there's sick people. That seems very topical to me. Yeah. That piece right there. The like... <laughs> Like maybe you shouldn't it. have that job and maybe nobody's <laughs> sad that you're quitting. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's a fair point that like maybe she was convinced that it wasn't her and maybe maybe she did feel kinda like the world was out to get her. She was an Irish immigrant in New York in like the early nineteen hundreds. I mean they're True. printing fucking news stories True. persecuting her. Yeah. At the same time, wash your fucking hands. Wash your hands, girl. Uh. Like, that's a, it's a really simple thing to be like, well, maybe potentially, probably, because I was sick with typhoid as a little girl, which I assume she had to have been symptomatic at some point. Wash your hands. It's such a simple solution. Just wash your fucking hands, you know? Don't yeah. keep going and, like, not washing your hands and then cooking. That's just gross. Like, for well, somebody to be, to be like, we found typhoid in your shit. We found your shit on this food. And it made people sick. Like, I know, because that literally means, like, there was poo-poo in the food. We have to talk about it. We have to talk about it. They were eating poo-poo. They were. <laughs> Which is why I was curious how you were introduced to Typhoid Mary. Like, like do they talk about it in culinary school? Yeah. And, like, wash your yeah. no, hands? No, it's just such a close cousin. Yeah. And one of the memories that, like, sticks out to me. So when you, and it, it's state by state, like, not every state requires this, but most of them do is to get what's called, like, a serve safe certification. Yep. Mm -hmm. So you take this class and 
you learn about all of these things. And so we were just kind of relearning. We took it yearly to like brush up on our knowledge. And one of the things that was like, okay, why do we wash vegetables? Because they're dirty. And he's like, well, yeah, but why, why, why are they dirty with what? And we're like, well, dirt. And he's like, more specifically, like what's in dirt? <laughs> mm. And we are like, what? And he's like, animals shit on the ground and then yeah. you put potatoes out of it. Like wash your vegetables. Right. Yeah. See, like he and- could not have put it more plainly. And that was what stuck out in my mind as like, yeah, wash your vegetables. Guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's huge. And I love that example. And I think that typhoid Mary's story could be very helpful in that way just like wash your hands or you could get poop in the food and somebody could die yeah thank you typhoid mary (laughs) for this lesson (laughs) (laughs) to backtrack just like a half step about hand washing i know that hand washing has been done to death especially gone in the last two years but yeah like (laughs) the heat of water while important is not the factor like they say 20 seconds for a reason because it's the friction of the soap of getting all that shit off your Mm. hands Mm -hmm. and not the heat of the water right and i think some people forget Forget that that. yeah they they do I was the safety team leader at Taco Bell circa day 2003 to 2004. No big deal, guys. So this is sensitive for you. Well, I took my job very seriously as the safety team leader. Like, excuse me, Trevor. Trevor, that was 13 seconds. I'm going to need you to go back, bud. I was that guy. I was a pleasure to work with. Something else that I would like everybody And I wish that this were at the beginning of the episode so more people could hear it, but wash under your damn fingernails. Uh I lose my mind when I go out to eat and I am handed my food by somebody who has like, I play with plants. I have dirty fingernails at times. Like I'm not trying to be like a pretty princess about it. I'm just saying wash them. Like get under there. That's where things love to live. Okay. Okay. So. I mentioned before that salmonella typhi is related to salmonella, which actually results in salmonellosis. So would we like to go over the differences there? Sure. Okay, because I would like to. I would like to introduce this. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so the salmonella that is from raw chicken and not salmon, and it's called salmon because it was named after, I think, a World (laughs) Health Organization doctor whose last name was Salmon. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> kind of a bummer, but I think he also was like, I got it. I got something named after me. Right. <laughs> so the one that results in food poisoning is Salmonella typhi Miriam, which is so close that I know it's going to be confusing anyhow. So just regular Salmonella. It can cause infections in humans and animals, and it's associated mm. mostly with animals and animal products that are eaten. And mm-hmm. it can be transferred in raw and undercooked food, like meat and eggs. It can also be transferred from bird to bird. And then it results in just that, you know, awful food poisoning that we, we hear about a couple times a year because of outbreaks. Salmonella typhi that results in typhoid fever can only infect humans. It is transferred through water. It's transferred through the poop, like we've talked mm-hmm. about. And it can cause not just the gastrointestinal stuff, but liver damage, inflammation of the heart, holes in the gut that might require surgery Mm. to fix, and internal bleeding. So they're very different. They're like distant cousins. That's long lasting issues. It's not like you just like have a bug and like, okay, I'm over it. Like we're back in action. So that's- learned so much. Yeah, I learned so much. Like I said, you tell a very good story, Bryce. You do. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, this was fantastic. Thank <laughs> you so much for your thorough research and your gifted storytelling <laughs> and your time. Yes. Thank you. I laughed so hard. <laughs> I don't have to do abs for a minute. So, Bryce, where can people find you since we have been assured by your awareness of this case <laughs> that you are a very clean chef. Where can people find you? So I am based out of Mesa, Arizona. I do a Mesa farmer's market. I do a farmer's market in downtown Phoenix. I'm at a couple coffee shops out here as well. I do lots of wholesale. Okay. If you just want to kind of check me out online, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Pastry Unicorn. And my website is pastryunicorn.com. And it's a lovely website. It really is. Thank you. Yeah. Do you do deliveries to other states? Like, do you send out stuff or not so much? It really depends on what you're looking for. Things like cookies, brownies, banana bread, really sturdy stuff that I don't have to worry about 
going bad or spoiling or breaking even. I've sent out things like French macarons in the past mm-hmm. and I just always kind of do it with a warning that the shells will <laughs> They're break. They're going to be broken. Yeah. Like you not just if. have to be okay with that. Yeah. yeah. And there, people usually don't care. So certain things I will. I've okay. attempted other stuff with huge failures. So keep it simple. <laughs> I'm going to find something that I can order from you and then also pair it with a nice vanilla ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to just, I'm going to make an event out of it. All right. Good show. Yeah. This was so fun, Bryce. Thank you. Seriously. Thank you. you. This was lovely. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, follow, subscribe, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. For more Lethal Dose content, you can find us at Lethal Dose Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. For an overdose of content, subscribe on Patreon for exclusive episodes and much more. The show theme is Look Far by our dear wizard friend Fogweaver. More of their music can be found on bandcamp.com. Lethal Dose is created, researched, produced, and edited by Kayla Woods and Venus Dineko. Stay safe, and remember, the dose makes the poison.